throughout my whole life, I've always felt like something was missing. And it, it was hard. I couldn't figure out what was really missing because you look at your life and you're like, you know, I have my health. I have a great family. I was able to go to school and get an education. I have a job. And it's like, on paper, you feel like I shouldn't have any of this, these feelings of like sadness or like emptiness or something missing. But like, that's how, like, I felt my whole life. Like, something's missing something's just not there and it's like finally figuring out okay like my identity like I don't even know who the hell I am hi everyone thank you for joining us you are now tuned into Trish Chat a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real-life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph, and I'm here with Jess. I'm going to do our weekly announcement, which is, if you have not already done so, please subscribe. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm getting better. I'm not wanting to say iTunes. Yes, we're uh, on that. Apple Podcasts. Um, and follow us on Instagram. And if you have been um, impacted by any of the episodes that you've listened to from Trish Chat, please share with a friend. Um, there are a ton of resources out there that require uh, financial means. And podcasts are one of the resources that are free um, and can really serve as a form of therapy for people. So uh, if you've been impacted by any of our episodes and think someone else might benefit, please share the love, spread the love. Okay, now that I have done the weekly announcement, I am super pumped to um, introduce our guest for this week um, and the topic for this week. So this for this episode we're talking about uh transracial adoption and i'm just going to define it uh for those of you who don't understand what it means um so transracial adoption um happens when a child who is of one race or ethnic group um is adopted by parents who are of another race or ethnic group so it might be pretty self-explanatory but we wanted to explain it so um for this episode we've brought on um kaylee and i'm super excited to uh, introduce Kaylee. Before I do that, I want to um, just shout you out, Kaylee, for joining us and for talking about your experience. Um, we really strive to uh, be vulnerable in our podcast and to cover different topics that help other people feel seen um, when they listen to that. Jess and I have no experience with adoption, but it's definitely something that impacts many people. And I'm sure that you're going to touch a lot of folks um, with our conversation today. So, that said, I've talked for so long and said Kaylee's name like four times and people are like, who is Kaylee? Um, so I'll read um, Kaylee's bio. So Kaylee is 31 years old and is a Korean adoptee. She's been married for almost five years now to her Irish husband and they have an almost two-year-old bulldog named Buddy. So cute. <laughs> uh, the best. <laughs> uh, they love to travel and have been fortunate enough to live in a few different countries over the past few years. Favorite country? Switzerland. Nice. Okay. Well, <laughs> Kaylee, uh, welcome to Trish Chat. We're super excited to have you. And I know that you and Jess know each other from college, but I'm super excited to get to know you um, throughout the course of this episode. 
Yeah, thank you guys seriously so much for having me. It's really nice to meet you finally, Steph, like face to face. I've heard so much about you from Jess, but I've never gotten to talk to you or see you. So it's really nice. I'm very curious as to what she said, but that might be a discussion for after that. <laughs> uh, it's all good things. Don't worry. Um, so I think let's let's jump right into it, Kaylee. Tell us what, what's your story? Like what has been your journey in finding out about you being adopted? Um, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting just because like, yeah, I'm 31, I'm going to be 32 next month. And um, I've never really like explored my adoption or really was ever curious about it until about like two years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. So back in like 2012, actually, I, I was looking um, to go to school down in New York City. So I was applying, looking for scholarships. And I saw, oh, like sometimes they do scholarships for adoptees, Korean adoptees. So I was doing my research and I found um, this company, like this group, and they basically do like an adult adoptee like trip to Korea. So basically you just, um, it's kind of like applying. So you probably write a letter why you should go. Mm-hmm. And then they selected me to go. So I was super excited. I was like, oh my God, I'll get to go to Korea. They pay for everything except for your flight there. So you pay for your flight there and you get two weeks there and they take you around. They'll take you to, like to the president's house. They'll take you all around the country. They'll take you to um, your adoption agency or your orphanage. If you have like information, you can start even a birth family search while you're there. So I was like excited to go, but I don't know. I just wasn't, I was like, okay, yeah, it's a cool trip. But like, it didn't like mean as much to me as it would now if I was to go. So, and I was dating someone at the time and I was looking to go back to school in the city and you guys know it's really expensive there. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what, I'm just not going to go. I'll just put it to the side and I'll just keep working. So then like fast forward a bunch, didn't really talk about or think about adoption really. And then, um, we were living in Switzerland, which is, yeah, my favorite place to live. But I was just like going through like these weird like times, basically, like it would get to the point where I was getting really, really emotional, like over the top emotion. And it was coming out almost like with a lot of rage. And it was always misdirected. Like, and unfortunately, you know, my husband was a lot of the time on the receiving end because he was the closest person to me. But it really came out a lot like when I was drinking and it was like the next day you just feel a lot of shame and you're like, okay, is it because I drank too much? Or like, why was I so angry the night before? What happened? So it just got to the point where I was really like looking in the mirror and I was just like, I don't even recognize like who like this person is. And like, you start to feel like you kind of hate yourself. And it's kind of like a scary feeling because you're kind of like, I don't really understand why I feel this way and like where it's all coming from. So I used to go to therapy when I was living in like New York and stuff. But then when we started moving around, I stopped going. Then I found a therapist in Switzerland. So we just kind of got talking and stuff and, you know, we're making progress, but he finally, I don't know, asked me, I guess, like just about like my family history kind of thing. And I told him I was adopted and he said to me, do you ever like wonder about your birth family? And I was like, no, not really. No, I don't really think about it. And he was like, all right. He's like, but don't you think that's kind of weird? And I was like, Honestly, I didn't think it was that weird until you said it to me that way. And then I was like, holy crap, like, why don't I care? And he, and then we just got talking about like identity and like, it just kind of opened up this like Pandora's box, basically. It was just like, oh my God, like, why haven't I been curious? Where is this coming from? So then I started just doing a little bit of research here and there, just like kind of dipping my toes in just to see what was out there. And I was starting to learn that like, um, you know, like there's a lot of like trauma around adoption and like there's, it's pre-verbal trauma. So for me or for other adoptees or even children that have had a traumatic experience, you know, before the age of three, they 
have these traumatic experiences, they can't put words to them, but it's all like sensations in the body. It's just feelings you have. So it's even harder to kind of like pinpoint it or address like what's wrong because I don't really know. I just have these feelings of what's wrong. So um, I actually had, a, even though I didn't go on that trip, I made some friends to this Facebook group that were all supposed to go on that trip back in 2012. And I kept in touch with one girl. We still have never met like ever, but we, she's one of those, these people I can just text and say, Hey, like I was thinking of you and this is what's going on. And like, she was just there for me throughout the past few years. So she like just told me, you know, like what she went through when she was starting to go through like her adoption journey. And um, she was kind of like my first like lifeline in all of it, which was really nice. And um, I started reading a book and just like I said, slowly got into it. And then now I'm like knee deep in it. I'm like really deep in the journey now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, where would you say you are in the journey right now is it is it one where like you're getting to learn more about um yourself and and the story that led to your adoption or is it one where you're like I'm like gonna meet my my like biological parents like where where are you in that so so right now it's more of like I'm finding out so much about myself because like I said like you know I'm going to be 32 and it's like I'm married and I have like this life but yet I don't feel like I'm living it like as me, like authentically. So I feel like I'm going backwards and I'm like, I've like almost being like reborn and figuring out like who I really am. And like Jess and I know each other from college and like from college, like I can say that I was very outgoing. I feel like I always tried to be like life of the party or always like having a good time, center of attention kind of thing. But I've realized over time and just doing this work that I'm like, that's really not like who I am as a person. I do like to have fun, but like I've noticed I'm very much like, an introvert and it's almost like you're wearing this like false self and like this armor around you to try to protect like who you really are so it's a lot of like unlearning things the past like you know 30 plus years of my life um and as far as like doing like a birth family search um I kind of so when I started seeing that therapist in Switzerland I was like okay like I think it's time to like really kind of figure out like my roots and like what's going on so Luckily, like my parents do have paperwork from like the adoption agency I was adopted from. Um, I've learned from a lot of other people that they, they're not as lucky as me where they might not have paperwork or anything at all. Some of them don't even know like the day they were born or anything about themselves. So I have paperwork and um, I got in touch with like my social worker at the time and she connected me to the adoption agency in Korea. And then they can only give you so much information. And then um, another person I had met through that group back in 2012 had moved to Korea. And I actually got in touch with him and he was working for this organization at the time that was trying to help adult adoptees like kind of like reunify with like their birth families or just help put them in the right direction. So he like put me onto someone else and it's just kind of like this person, this person, this person. Um, so far, the only information that I've got is they found my birth mother's address. They've sent a few letters home to her. She hasn't responded yet, but it's supposedly her son called them and said, hey, like you have the wrong people. Like, like you, we're not going to respond to this. But the caseworker was like, no, like we need to actually hear from like your mother. Like this is kind of an important matter. We can't just dismiss it. So they keep trying. They can't really get through to him anymore. But basically I found out I could have a half brother. I, my birth mother is located and she has a couple other children as well. So that's all I know so far. I haven't made contact or anything yet though. 
Wow. I, I can't even imagine what it must feel like to um, continue to learn things about yourself um, over, well, I take that back because I think if you're doing the work in, in therapy, it, obviously these are two very extreme different angles, but um, I think what it's fascinating what you're saying because you are learning about yourself and your core of who you are um, through this unlearning um, that you're doing exactly. um, and this like shedding of like who you thought you were supposed to be and like this gro- this like growth of like who you actually are. And then on the other hand, you're learning so much about yourself from from the process of find of, of from like the adoption agency and, and the social worker and all this stuff, you're learning so much about, I don't know if it's about yourself, maybe that's the wrong word, but about um, uh, your biological, uh, your biological family. So there's just like, I, I can't imagine there's just so much that you are processing at any given point about yourself and about your childhood and about so many things that, um, that happen. So that's, that's super fascinating to me. And I appreciate you being really vulnerable in, in sharing that. Um, well, seriously, like I said in the beginning, like, thank you so much for having me because I feel like I said it to Jess before when she first asked me to like join you guys, I was like, oh my God, like you guys are the first people to really like ask me like about my story. And it's nothing against anybody else that knows I'm adopted. I just think it's one of those things where people don't know how to talk about it yet. So they feel uncomfortable. They don't want to upset you. They don't know like what to ask. So it's just never really been like a hot topic of discussion. So when Jess asked me if I'd be, I was like, oh my God, like, this is so nice. Like someone wants to know like my story. I have a story yeah. to tell. Yeah, you so, do. Everybody has a story. To yeah. Tell. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's really nice. And I think that kind of segues into uh, a question around like, did being adopted come up a lot? throughout your life before getting to this moment uh, in 2012? Like, did it, yeah, how did it come up in, in your life with, um, with your family? You know, it's like so weird because I was thinking about it and like, it's not that I remember specifically like sitting down with my parents and then being like, you're adopted. It was almost one of those things that like you just knew because like my parents are white and um, I do have a sister. She's six years older than me. She's also adopted from Korea, but we're not biological sisters. So I don't know if it also helped that like I had an older sister who was also adopted and it was just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents tried to like um, put us, so we had like this camp back home that's called like Korean camp, but it was like really big, like in the country, I guess. And, um, you know, parents would send their children, all Korean adoptees from around the country to go to this camp in Albany, like of all places. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was cool because they put this on for us, but you know, my parents would have us go, I'd go for a few days, but like, at that age, like you just want to fit in. Like I, mm-hmm. I did not connect to that at all. And I know that they were trying and that was like the best that they could do at the time. But for me, I was like, all right, after a few years, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And they were really cool. Like they didn't force me to go, but I think looking back, it's almost like, I wish I still maybe kept going kind of thing, you know? But um, yeah, I mean, I was raised in a really small like town, like it was mostly white. There weren't a lot of people of color there at all. Um, I, it was just one of those things that it was just like, people just knew that I was, and you just didn't really talk about it. And like, I don't ever really feel like I got, I I think I was lucky in the sense that I, I mean, I got made fun of, I got teased for being like looking different, 
but it was one of those things that I don't know I didn't it didn't really affect me I don't really remember it affecting me so much like I remember certain comments like you know they'll say something about my eyes or they might say something as I'm older about how I drive or mm-hmm. just weird things like that that now you're re- recognizing as you're older like okay like that was a bit you know uncalled for like they shouldn't have probably said that to me but it was never like I never feel like it was like in my face so I think I was very fortunate at least that it wasn't that intense growing up I should say oh yeah um it's 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 interesting um I think kids have no filter but just interesting to hear how much of an asshole they can be (laughs) and just like the microaggressions that can happen um at such an early age right because somebody making a comment about your eyes or a comment about uh or a joke about your driving like that that's a microaggression that's super messed up into um sometimes we tend to think of uh, microaggressions as happening when we're adults or primarily happening in the workplace and it's just very interesting to sit in the fact that it, it can even happen to kids mm-hmm. and the impact that it has long term on kids when that's something that um you are exposed to uh, at a very early age and that happens quite frequently after that yeah. yeah. Um, so we, t- we talked about your, uh, your adoption story. We talked about you getting curious about it. I would love to spend some time talking about um, the fact that you're a transracial adoptee. And you talked about the fact that your parents are white. Um, so, and, and you're Korean. I would love t- for you to talk about um, how being a transracial adoptee has impacted the different stages of your life? Yeah, so I was like thinking about this question. I was like, God, this is like a hard one, I feel like. <laughs> well, like, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things that it's like, I feel like I've just kind of like woken up to the fact that I that I am Korean even. Like I'm still kind of getting used to the identity because like I said, being raised by like white parents in a white community, you you kind of just jump on like the whiteness almost. And so I'm in like this kind of like an adult adoptees like support group, basically. We meet once a month. It's kind of a bunch of people in the Bay Area, which is really cool. And it's just like an open forum where you just kind of like talk about your story or how you're feeling that day. And um, one of the things that really stuck out to me was just how do you identify yourself to like like your local community, like when you're out and about, like what do you want them to see about you? And I think one person said how, they're black. So they really like to try to play like their rap music when they're riding their bike. So people know like, Oh, he's black. And I was thinking, well, how do I try to like identify myself as like a Korean woman, like in society, what am I doing? And I noticed that I'm more so trying to portray like my whiteness or that I'm not foreign to people. So I'll make sure when people are looking at me or talking to me, I'm talking, they know that I'm talking very clearly English, that I don't have any type of like accent that I'm educated or whatever the case may be I try to make it known that I'm more American than you think that I am Mm -hmm. and I don't know it really like stuck with me and I was just like okay wow like I I'm I'm not white actually like I am like Korean and it's almost like I look in the mirror every day and like I see that I'm Korean but I don't like feel it and I remember even in college like I wrote like a paper and I remember one of the things I wrote was just like I look in the mirror and I don't see like a Korean person. I feel white. I see like white. Mm -hmm. And, you know, friends used to say to me, like, I look at you and I don't even think that 
you know, you're, you're Korean. Like I forget. And like at, at the time, like in college hearing that you're like, great. Like they see me as Kaylee or they accept me. But now that I'm going through this work, I'm like, no, I want to be seen as Korean. Like, I don't want to be seen as something, not necessarily that I'm not, but I'm, I'm identifying with something that isn't authentically, truly me down to my core. So it's hard because like adoption hasn't like negatively like impacted any events in my life, but it hasn't like, I don't know. Am I being clear about what I'm saying? No, completely like, clear. This yeah. question. Cause like, cause I thought about it when I looked at, I was like, I don't know how to answer this because it hasn't, hasn't really like come up in my life until like now, like right now is when I'm really focused on it. And I just feel like for the past like 31 years, it's just been like a fog, like a, just a distant memory. I was so detached from it that I was like, people would talk about it. I'm like, Oh, you're adopted. And I'm like, yeah, I'm adopted. And like, just, I brush it off. It was almost like, um, my identity was, I was the most un-Asian Asian, Asian person you'll ever meet. Cause I know nothing about like my heritage. I know nothing. Mm-hmm. So I almost like held on to that. And I was like, no, I'm like, basically like white. I just look Korean. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember the first time, like my husband, and I really met and like, I was talking to him, we went out like to lunch one day and I was like, yeah, I was adopted. And his, this was when we were just like friends and his reaction was like, oh my God, like you're adopted. He's like, he's like, that's like so beautiful. Like, tell me. And, and I was like, and at the time I was like, yeah, it's cool. Like whatever. And now it's like, my reaction would have been so different. Like mm-hmm. if he had asked me like now, you know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you just answered it though, right? Like whether you say it impacted you in X, Y, or Z, like it did impact you. Like it impacted you in that, the way you saw yourself, right? Being yeah. an, an adoptee and like in, in ways not being tied to like your heritage because you're trying to figure that out now. So for from from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're your journey was very aligned with whiteness because that's what you were around. Like that's all you knew. Yeah. It's also very interesting because race is a social construct, right? So like, what are these labels even anyway, besides used for the benefit of like white supremacy and racism? Uh, But that's a different episode. Um, But it's just even really interesting as to, um, you know, you for a, a while identified as white, but most people who would look at you and see you, you know, labels can be harmful, but labels um, sometimes help people to make decisions faster to like really get to like analyze someone quickly based on a first impression. Mm-hmm. And so it's just very interesting that you were walking around with this one identity of like, I'm, I'm white, um, but the world was likely perceiving you as Asian. And you feel that disconnect from Asian culture, um, so it's it's just it's just fascinating to me of the things that we like ascribe to people versus like what we feel about ourselves, um, and just um, I can I can empathize, and that that must have been or maybe still is very confusing um, for you, or even harmful in many ways of, hey, I identify in one way, you're classifying me as this way that I feel completely disconnected from. Um, but I, that label still being placed on me. So it's just, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm being clear. I'm just, yeah. It's like very, just very interesting to me. No, like it makes sense what you're saying. And like, it just reminded me too, like um, when we were living in Toronto, there's like a huge like Asian community there. And I just remember 
like, first of all, not being around that many Asian people like ever. And it was just like, it almost gave me anxiety because I was like, oh my God, like I don't fit in here. And it's almost like you're not Asian enough to hang out the Asian people, but you're not white enough to like hang out the white people. So you're mm-hmm. just kind of like, you're just kind of like there trying to figure out where do I, like, where do I fit? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's like why I struggled so so long too. Cause it's like, now that I found this like adult adoptee group that I meet with like every month, I finally feel like I found like my people. Like mm-hmm. we all kind of can really relate. Like we're like, we don't really fit here. We don't really fit there. We're kind of in between. And um, cause yeah, you're right. Like it has been hard in that way of being like, I don't know, like who, where do I go? Who are my people? Where do I really like fit in? And I think, um, you know, throughout my whole life, I've always felt like something was missing. And it was hard. I couldn't figure out what was really missing because you look at your life and you're like, you know, I have my health. I have a great family. I was able to go to school and get an education. I have a job. And it's like, on paper, you feel like I shouldn't have any of this, these feelings of like sadness or like emptiness or something missing. But like, that's how, like, I felt my whole life. Like something's missing. Something's just not there. And it's like finally figuring out, okay, like my identity, like, I don't even know who the hell I am. Yeah. I mean, many people out there don't know who the hell they are, but they're pretending. They're faking yeah. it until they make it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt I was. I was like, just keep going. Just keep yeah. going. Well, I think you're doing, the work that you're doing is, um, it's really important and it's um, it's fascinating. And I, you talked about, you know, how you were approaching the world with this um, sense of rage and, and anger and how it would come out in certain situations. and you know, regardless of what anyone's um, situation is in life, I think we can sometimes give rage a very negative um, uh, label um, of like, you know, there's like, if you, feel, if you feel happy, if you feel sad, like those are normal feelings. But if you feel mm-hmm. jealousy, if you feel rage, like, oh, don't, don't even talk about those. Those aren't, um, you know, quote unquote normal. But I think rage is such an important indicator of something else that may be going on mm-hmm. that you need to, uh, like, check in on right like rage is like the check engine light on your you know on your like mental health of like hey there's something going on that's having you approach the world with this deep sense of of anger and it's something that you should um check out because I'm I'm sure and I've 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 been through this and I still sometimes am this and I'm, I'm exploring that is I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that sometimes just get up in the morning and they just feel so angry at everyone um, in reality, you're angry at yourself and you're just projecting that onto everybody else, but you're just so angry at everyone. And you can very easily walk away from the day feeling like the world is against me or everything's going wrong and not necessarily like ask yourself at the end of the day, why did I have this type of day? Why did I feel this way in so many instances? What's going on that's causing me to feel this way? So I think the work that you're doing and the fact that you were able to recognize that that rage was like an indicator for you to look into something deeper, I think is really important. Thank you. I mean, you know, I was seeing that therapist in Switzerland and then I, we moved to Toronto. I found a new therapist and it was one of those things where like you're seeing progress. Like I was going to therapy probably since I was like 23 and you, you see progress, but I, I did, wasn't seeing it where I thought I should be at that point. And we just moved to San Francisco. We moved right at the beginning of the pandemic. Like everything was crazy here. 
And I just remember like going down that path again of anger, rage. And I'm just like, okay, like I thought I needed to go to anger management classes. So I was like doing my research, trying to figure it out. And then I came across like, just like more stuff about like trauma and then looking and I was like, oh yeah, I learned that there's like trauma with adoption. And that was something that I, I never really like explored further after like I talked to my therapist in Switzerland. So I was, it was a point where I was like, I'm getting kind of desperate again for answers. I need to know what's going on. So luckily I found like this therapist that worked with like um, families and like children that have been adopted. And she was like, I can't help you because I work with like families and children, but I have someone else that can, why don't you reach out to her? I reached out to this woman who happens to also be an adoptee. And she did a lot of work, I think, in school just around like trauma and stuff. So I linked up with her and I've been seeing her every week since like, I want to say April. And she has really like, this is where I, this is why it's been 2020 has been like so great in some ways and so awful, but like great for me as in I've been able to do like this deep dive into like myself and I've learned so much from her and just like like all these materials she's given me to like read or things to listen to or watch that's really helping me realize like okay like there's nothing wrong with me like there's like there's a reason I am the way that I am and it's down to biology too like Mm -hmm. you know I've learned so much from this book that I'm reading that like a lot of it starts like you know like when you're like a baby as soon as you're born like the bond between you and like your birth mother is so important because you rely on your birth mother like you don't have a sense of identity so like you and your birth mother are one and like your birth mother is supposed to teach you how to like self-soothe. So eventually she can't soothe you anymore. Now you have that bond, that trust where you can break off and learn to soothe yourself. And I've learned that because I had that bond severed at such an early age, I just put up these defenses right away. I was like, okay, something's wrong. My birth mother, my mother isn't here. I was so you start developing these things. They're like hardwired into you. Like it's in like my DNA and my therapist was like, you know what, like, no matter what, you could have been adopted into the absolute best family, the worst family, whatever the case may be. She was like, regardless, she's like, you've been messed up from the beginning. And like, honestly, it like helped me because I kept thinking like, what is so wrong with me? Like, Mm -hmm. why can't I change? Why is it so hard for me to like, pull myself out of this bad mood? Why am I getting upset over random things that make no sense? Mm-hmm. And that's when I started learning about what I was telling you guys, just like, you know, the implicit memory, just like, since it's pre-verbal trauma, it's all sensations and feelings. So I might get upset at my husband, like pointing out something and like, I'll just overreact to it. And like, to you guys, it would be like, God, why is she overreacting about something? Like, it's not a big deal. But to me, it's like something that's happened from my past. And this feeling yeah. just comes in and I react to it. And it's, um, my therapist also suggested that I go to DBT therapy, which is dialectical behavior therapy. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but um, it helps just like, you know, with learning about your emotions, regulating them, um, how to have healthier communication, effective communication in relationships. So I'm doing that work too. And just coupled together, it's, it's been really helpful, but it's been like absolutely challenging too, to be honest. You're killing it, man. That's amazing. Thank you. I mean, just even being able to acknowledge that you have these emotions that are within your body that you aren't able to explain just yet, but you're able to understand like, okay, I'm feeling this because I know that this may be linked to something in my childhood. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, I, I can, I can imagine being upset 
and then getting upset with yourself for being upset and then getting upset with yourself for being upset oh, for yeah, not being able that. to like understand why you're <laughs> upset. Like just this whole cycle of just anger. So it's great that you have done all of this work to even get to the point where you are able to identify those feelings. And I think it's also important because for for some for some of us who've been in therapy for years, um, it can kind of feel like you hit a plateau after a while, but it's because there are so many small changes that you're making constantly because of therapy that it's hard for you to see them. Um, and we also sometimes tend to skip past the parts that are super important, like the part where you're able to identify a feeling um, when it's happening and understand why it's happening. And we just kind of want to get to the point of like, I don't even want to have that feeling. Like, I just want to be at the point where <laughs> that feeling doesn't even come. Like, I don't even react in a certain way. And we miss that huge, important part of the work, which is identifying the feeling. Yeah. And it was, it's so great because like DBT, they, you know, there's a book that you order and you do like a workbook. So it's great because like, I'll meet with like my group, like every week and like, we'll go over our lesson, we'll go over our homework the homework for the following week is just to practice that skill we just learned and so on. So it's great because like, it's keeping me accountable. It's helping me practice these skills. And yeah, like, I'm able to like have these skills like for life. It's just nice to be able to have something where I can look back and like, they have these whole like worksheets filled out where it's like, you might feel this emotion. And like, there's so many different words for like the feeling of like disgust or like feeling of jealousy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, refreshing to like see it and be like okay like I can really name how I'm feeling because a lot of the yeah. times like I've noticed for me that I have a I get the sensation before I even know like what I'm upset about mm -hmm. so like you know like we'll be walking and I'll start getting like this feeling and before I can even verbalize it to my husband he can already tell that I'm upset so he'll say like what's wrong like are you okay and I'll be like I'm fine because I don't know like what's going on yet I'm still trying to process it and then like you know five minutes later I might be like okay, I was feeling anxious about that, or I was actually feeling kind of scared about that. And it's just like, my brain trying to catch up with my body at this point. Yeah. Just, yeah. Wow. You just put towards uh, things that I've been feeling that I have not been able to put it towards because <laughs> you do sometimes Jess will sometimes say, are you okay? And my immediate response is, yeah, I'm fine. But it's because I don't know. I know I feel something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's, I've been there so many times and and then I, I used to try to fight my way out of it I'd be like no I am fine and you know it creates this thing because like I don't know adoptees too but I'm sure a lot of people have this where it's just kind of like you you feel so much shame and like if you're considered if you're seen as wrong then you're less than so mm -hmm. it's like it's like this bad baby syndrome they call it like if I wasn't so bad my mother wouldn't have given me up so I used to hate being wrong. So I'd literally try to fight my way out of it and then like try to convince my husband that he was the wrong one, mm -hmm. which you learn too, is just kind of this form of manipulation that you don't even realize that you're doing. But um, yeah, like it's just, then I finally, I told him one day, I was like, look, like sometimes I feel stuff before I even know what's wrong. So I'm just gonna have to verbalize to you that I'm up, I'm feeling something, but I'll have to get back to you about what's wrong. Cause I don't know yet. Yeah, I think that's so key. I think we talk a lot about language and how important it is, right? Like just putting a name to a feeling and just under, you know, for for us in, in, in Trish Chat, a lot of our conversations are around imposter syndrome and how like before I knew what that term meant, like I felt it, but it wasn't until I found the word that I felt so seen. Um, but to kind of talk about that and how it's, I'm sure that's like impacting in a good way, um, 
it's really helping your relationship and how you communicate and in all relationships, I think, because you're able to put names to it and be able to communicate to people, hey, this is this is why I am doing this. I'm still figuring it out, but I just want to give you a heads up as why this is. And it, it that's how it is with us, right? Like whenever you figure something out or you're working through something and you're able to communicate that to me, for me, it's 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 easier for me to empathize and at least be patient with the fact that like, because I think it's me, right? If she's upset and like, I'm a codependent. I want to fix it. Right. I'm like, what's going on for her when she's like that? And she can, now you can communicate. Now I'm like, okay, this isn't my battle. Like she's working through it. So I think it's amazing the work you're doing and I'm sure it's helping your relationship um, a ton. It it would, it would help it a lot if I would practice it more. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm struggling. Like I know the things that I need to do and I know what will help us have a very successful relationship but the problem is I'm still honestly like letting my inner child take over a lot. Mm-hmm. Like she's making, I realized like she was in the driver's seat most of my adult life, making a lot of these decisions for me without me even realizing it. And so um, it's tough, you know, because at the beginning of all this, when I was going through like figuring out why I was so upset, I was very rageful. I was a really like an angry person. And unfortunately, I would take it out of my husband. I'd be really angry towards him. I'd be really almost resentful towards him when he didn't do anything wrong. And he also didn't understand what was wrong. And at the time, I didn't know what was wrong. I just was like, I'm angry. You're right here. So this is how it is. And, you know, it does create a wedge between you because you don't understand the other person. And then as I'm treating him that way, like kind of almost pushing him away because I'm so angry. I'm also at the same time, like yearning for him. I'm like, I need you though. Why are you, why are you going away? So mm-hmm. for me, it was a lot of like push pull with him. And I'm, I'm so thankful for him because he's literally stuck by me, you know, almost five years now. And to be honest, there were times that I wouldn't have wanted to be with me because it was so hard to like deal with me. Like I was really unbearable at times. And even now, sometimes that like I said, when my inner child's activated, it's, it's not good. Like it's very, it's volatile. I get very like upset and thankfully I'm learning the skills to help regulate myself. But there's times that I would try to look to him to, to comfort me, to help me. And I've learned, you know, just from therapy that like, this is like my journey. Like there's nothing my husband can do. He can't give me anything to calm me down and give me what I'm, I'm looking for. And it's basically like being like a a single parent to yourself. Like I have to be a parent to like my inner child and give her this love and attention that she was so desperately needed that she didn't get. So we're, we're definitely working on it. I'm really trying hard and I'm trying to introduce certain skills and things to him, just things that I'm learning just to keep him in the loop. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he's just been really supportive though. Like he's been really understanding and just wants me to like, do well and just be happy that's what, like that's what he said he's like I just really want you just to be happy and mm-hmm. and he just believes in me and like sees past like the the false self I guess which is which is nice totally totally and I think I mean it's a, it's a journey right like it's not gonna it's not a switch but I think um one I just want to say how proud I am of you um thank you we reconnected back in what March Um, and, and you were, you know, you were sharing with me about all the stuff you were planning on doing and just to hear how far you've come in a matter of months, um, just makes me really proud as a friend. So I just want to say that first and foremost, and two, just as much as you're continuing to work on this journey, even just communicating with your husband, 
I'm sure you're so much further ahead than you think, um, than you were maybe back in March. Um, so like kind of what Steph was saying, you might not see the, the little changes, but the fact that you can even name these things and even have a conversation with your husband about it, the fact that he loves you, that's going to stick with him. Even though he might not know what to do with it, the fact that he hears you getting uh, more curious and, and better with your emotions, it's going to motivate him to be more patient, maybe look up how he can be better in yeah. supporting you. Um, just as a partner, I can just say that like when I see someone I love like doing the work for themselves, it makes me want to like meet them halfway in a way. So just kudos to you for just doing the work. And um, I think that this segues into our, our next question around like resources. Yeah. Um, so there might be some folks who are listening who are curious about their adoption story. What are some tips that you would give them? And what are some resources that have been helpful in your journey? So I would just say that um, like, it's totally worth it. You should totally take the time to explore your roots and to figure out who you really are. So if you have been feeling how I've felt where you're feeling these senses of rage, and you don't know where they're coming from, you're feeling anxious or always anxious all the time that, yeah, you should really explore that. You should seek help. Um, for me, like what I found has been super helpful was I did find a therapist that specialized with working with adoptees. So that really helped put me on the right track. Um, I do DBT group therapy, which is amazing. I would highly recommend that if you're having a hard time, you know, communicating with not only like your partner, but anybody in your life really, or if you're just having trouble regulating your emotions and naming them, this would help you so much. I think everybody should do DBT therapy. Honestly, they should teach that in school. Yeah, um, I agree. A book that I'm reading for people that are interested, like whether you're planning to adopt or you are adopted yourself, it's called um, Coming Home to Self by Nancy Verrier. Here, I actually have it right here. Nice. I love it. It's like, they call it like the adopt adoptee, like Bible, basically handbook, whatever you want to call it. Um, it. It just, it's great because it, like I said, it breaks down, you know, kind of like, the baby's brain development and like how trauma and stress can affect that. And just like your connection with your birth mother and when you don't have it, how it affects you. And it just answered a lot of questions for me. And like, um, it helped me put to rest, like some of the things that I was feeling and like helping me realize like, okay, like I'm not alone. And like, this is normal how I'm feeling. And, um, I don't know, I would say also like support groups. Like I have a group out here that I meet with adoptees once a month. Um, I found some groups on Facebook too. And, um, I don't know. You can reach out to me if you want to. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Awesome. I mean, I think even just a lot of the terms that you mentioned today um, is even a start. Like if, if, if you're listening and you heard um, Kaylee mention like inner child or um, even rage or um, any of those things and you're like, hmm, that's really interesting to me you know, like your gut may be, um, uh, it, that might be your gut sending you a signal that like, maybe it's, it's, it's an opportunity for you to look into that. So even, um, just the terms that you use today, I think were super helpful for other people to, um, get curious. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you so much for, for coming on and just being vulnerable with us. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this episode. Um, 
yeah, I hope you're proud of yourself. I hope, I hope you know that you, you are very loved and supported and that we're both here for you in any way that we can uh, support you. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before we, before we end the episode? No, I just really want to thank you guys again so much just for having me on here. Like I said, um, it was just really nice for me to like share my story and just for people, if you have friends that are adopted and you know, they've never really talked about it and you want to like maybe show your support to them, you could say you listen to the podcast or ask them, you know, questions about it, ask them if they're comfortable speaking about it because you know, as much as um, people like to highlight how beautiful and amazing adoption is, which it is, of course, there's also like another face to it. Um, and it's a really sad and traumatic side too that, you know, needs needs to be recognized and needs to be acknowledged too. So just thank you for letting me share that. I really appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Yes. I love that you, you mentioned that and that's a good way to, to end this episode. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how can you, how can you like follow that? Yeah, that was, that was beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I guess until next time. That's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. Peace. Bye. Bye.